0: I'd had more than enough signs in my life to tell me that my new home was within comedy. And all that was left to do was for me to get my ass on stage. Told y'all I was pretty scared. I was terrified to get on the stage, man. Public speaking wasn't necessarily my thing. This was around the time that I actually found out that it's the worst fear within people. Death is somehow second. People rather die than get on a stage and talk in front of people. Let alone try to entertain them and make them laugh. And I'm from New York. People don't really always come to a comedy show to laugh. Sometimes they come to tell you that you ain't funny. So what's up with it? These ain't regular audiences. This is not your friendly type of crowd. This is real life. I paid $30 to be in this bitch. And if you not funny, I'm whooping someone's ass. Be funny now. And that was the kind of crowd I had that night. And I promise y'all, I remember my heart beating and felt like it was going to jump out my damn chest. I thought of the great Bernie Mac, who had always inspired me and found himself in a similar position during Def Jam, when he said the famous line, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Well, I said the same thing to myself, but I didn't believe the shit. I was scared of you motherfuckers. Yeah. Y'all was pretty scary. (laughs) But I took my ass out there anyway, and I got on that stage, and you know what happened? By now, you know what time it is. You're going to have to wait. Welcome to In The Moment. Uh, There's a moment in everything, and everything is a moment. I talk about the comedy in it all. This is part three of episode 81, so you already know what time it is. I'm not finishing that shit. I'm tired. But there I was, face to face, one on one, with Mr. Tell Steve Harvey I don't wanna himself. Had no idea what this would do for my future. If y'all didn't think I was the king of bars as a comedian slash rapper before that, damn it, I should know by now. And I was talking to Steve and I was like, yo, I'm at a crossroads and your video inspired me. And I said, This is the part where most people would say it changed my life, but it hasn't. <laughs> It's done nothing for my life yet, but it has changed my mindset. And I remember him laughing and actually thinking that was funny. He was like, what exactly is it you do, young brother? I said, hey, man, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Work in the mailroom, my guy. And I remember him saying, you work in the mailroom, but what is it you want to do? And I said, I want to be a comedian. So he said, start calling yourself a comedian. I said, but I ain't, I ain't, he said, ah, you want to be a comedian? Then you're a comedian. What are you walking around telling people you work in the mailroom for? You may work there, but is that what you are? Are you the mailroom guy? I said, hell no, Steve. He said, well, then what are you? I said, a comedian. He said, exactly. So I said, okay, now that we got that out the way and I'm a comedian, here's what else I need. He looked at me like I was going to ask him for money. Had another curveball for him. Not at all, at least not yet. I said, I need a mentor. Someone told me I need a mentor. It's important. And he was like, that is important. They were right. You should get a mentor who's somewhat done a little bit of what you are trying to do. And I looked at him as if he were reading my mind. I know, Steve. (laughs) So I let him talk and I played stupid as if I didn't know where this was going. And as soon as we got to the point where I knew it was time to take off, I said, well, hey, Steve. It was as if he knew already. I said, man, you be the perfect man. He said, man, I ain't got no time for that shit. (laughs) Just like that. And he said it in a way where it was like I should have already known that, and I did. I knew completely he didn't have time to mentor me, but, hey, I told y'all that Jaru moment was in the back of my head, and I was going to ask, damn it, I was going to be turned down today. I was shooting my shot. Fuck that. And he turned me down. He said, I ain't got no time for that youngin, but keep going, keep your eye on the prize and keep it moving. And he, you know, we talked about it a little bit more, but that was the gist of it. I was turned down. And, yeah, I was kind of hurt, because who likes to be rejected? But I was also inspired. And I said to myself, that's not going to be the last time I talk to Steve Harvey. It's irony in everything. Stay focused as I continue. So finally, after that night, Said to myself, it's time. I have to stop playing. You get to a point in life where you know, okay, now you know what time it is. You get your feet wet a little bit, and now there's literally nothing in your way but you. There's no one you can blame but you. Oh, I don't have the money. Oh, I got to do this job. Oh, my kids. Oh, my job. No, 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 no. None of that matters. Nah. It's just You. So what you going to do? And I kept saying, I'm going to get on stage. I'm going to get on stage. And I wouldn't get on stage, man. I'd be like, oh, it's raining today. <laughs> I'd find a reason. Until I knew the one way I would have to hold myself accountable is to go tell my grandmother that I'm going to do this. I can't look my grandmother in the eye and tell her something and they don't do it because I feel like I lied to my grandmother. That makes me feel bad as a man. I don't like to lie to anyone. But grandma, you can't lie to your moms. You can't lie to grandma. Right? At least for me. Some of y'all lie to anybody. I know. I went to my grandma. and said, Grandma, this might sound crazy, but I'm about to be a comedian. I'm getting on stage this week. My grandma gave me that comedian. Kind of, you know, she wasn't ready. But then she hopped right back into grandma mode and was, all right, let's do it. And I know in her mind, she was like, oh, Lord, Lord. They're going to boo this boy into another century. (laughs) I knew that was coming, right? But that gave me the little jolt I needed. Gave me the push. And so, Wynn got on stage. I went back to work. Wynn talked to the receptionist. That was my lady at the job at the time, man. She was dope. Shout out to Miss Anita. Like a second mother. She was like everybody's second mother. Literally, you had to take a number. She called everybody's son, and she treated everybody like Her son. So I think I was like son 433. But in my mind, I was like two. You know what I mean? Top three, not one, not three. You know what I mean? And I went to her and I said, Miss Anita, I think I'm going to do comedy. And then she told me this whole story about how somebody in her family wanted to do comedy as well and they sucked. and They got booed and they was throwing shit at them. And I was like, why would you do that now? That's... Not the time, that's not the moment. But I needed that because it inspired me again. I almost need for somebody to tell me I can't do something or to make me feel like I can't do it because that's what to push me to do it, even if it's stupid. So here we go. At this point, I was trying to figure out how to get on stage. And I knew there was a comedy department where I worked. So I went to a gentleman named Spruce. Shout out to Spruce. Nothing but love for that man. Taught me a lot, and I appreciate him. And I knew he had his hand in comedy for a very long time. And I said, yo, I want to get on stage, man. I want to try something out. And he's like, yeah, so do a lot of people. But are you serious about it? I said, I am. He's like, are you funny? I said, I don't know. We'll find that shit out later. Let's just try something. want to see something. And he said, all right, I'll tell you what. I host these showcases once a month. We get some people in there. We have some fun. But before I give you an opportunity to join that stage, I want to see what you can do at an open mic. And I said, practice? Bro, are we talking about practice? I'm coming to you about comedy. About getting on stage and doing comedy. I'm supposed to be a comedian. Steve Harvey told me. And we talking about practice. Somehow my life went from the guy stepping over me like he was AI to now I'm AI. Follow me through all the irony. I'm not your average storyteller. Not your average bear, (laughs) boo-boo. And I said, fine, I'll practice. First open mic I went to to speed up a very long story. I did all right. I did all right. But I learned a lot. It wasn't but four people in there. Because you had to put your name on a list. It started with 20, and everybody in there was a comedian. And by the time you got there, you had to be like 16th out of the 20. And when comedians performed, they left. That's how it worked in the open mic circuit in New York City. So by the time you performed, you were performing only in front of comedians who were waiting to perform. Then I got the hang of it on the second one. I got there early. Boom. And I knew I was third on the list. And then the first guy was called. And I said, holy shit, I got to perform in front of the 20. One ready. Nervous. Ran across the street. Y'all give me a 40. Drunk the entire 40 in the store. He was like, my friend, you okay? Are you okay, my friend? I said, no time. There's no time, poppy. (laughs) Put the 40 and the $2 on the counter. I'm out. Ran across the street just in time to hear them say my name, Mo Mitch. People were clapping. I said, oh, shit. Walked up there, and I was like, yo, I was so nervous to perform in front of only 20 of y'all that I ran across the street and finished a 40 in 40 seconds. Do the math. I think I said some stupid shit like that. And they laughed. And I realized in that moment, that wasn't the joke, fam. I'm really telling y'all what I just did. Like, ran across the street. I was so nervous, I realized I didn't look both ways. I will probably get hit by a car one day. That's stupid. And you know what happened? Got hit by a fucking car one day. Two lessons in that. One, watch what you say about yourself. Two, I realized that they were laughing off of me simply telling them shit I had really did. (laughs) I didn't have to dig too deep in my bag of tricks to get these people to laugh because I had learned that I was somewhat of a natural. Because this is not what I'm doing. This is what I was meant to do. There's a difference. Some of us are doing what we want to do. Some of us are doing what we dream to do. And then some of us are actually doing what we were meant to do. It's levels. That's why I come easier to some than it does others. I was watching the Bob Ross documentary. He's sitting there painting mad water and trees and... All these beautiful portraits in 30 minutes talking about anybody can do it. It's not that difficult, baby. All you got to do is put your mind to it, and you can do it. You just got to believe. Bob, you don't knock that shit off, man. I can't paint a tree to save my life. You give me a year. I ain't paint no damn tree. I can't paint for shit. Yes, you can, Mo. You can do it. I know you can do it. If you know Bob Ross, you know that's the energy he was on. I love Bob. Rest in peace, Bob. Bob was fired. If you didn't see the doc, you should watch it. It's not an ad. I can't paint no water. That's his gift. That's what he was meant to do. He was put on earth to do. He was amazing at it. And in that moment, I felt like maybe that's what comedy was for me. But I just had to fucking do it. I had to get off my ass and actually go do it beyond the fear. Like they say, beyond the music, beyond the fear. Then I was addicted. I had to get back on that stage. Taking open mics wherever I can. And every time I would go to a new open mic, including one that Tony Rock, Chris Rock's brother, ended up at. I went up there and I did my little open mic spill. And I'm not trying to brag on myself. I'm just saying that this moment was a moment. Because everybody else did their thing, and I realized no one was really laughing laughing. It was more like, ha-ha, ha-ha. When I went up there, I had that room rocking. Tony himself was like, bro, you have something. You have something. How long have you been doing this? I said, I don't know. A week? (laughs) Looked at me like I was crazy. Are you serious? I said, yeah, man. People that's going up there have been doing it 10 years, 15 years. You've been doing this for a week? I said, it's like my third time on stage. You have a gift. And then he went up there and did his thing. I said, okay. I have a gift. I can't play with this. And then that was when I went back to... And then around that time... I went to see Tracy Morgan, who I had known somewhat through family, friend of the family. He called me a couple times when I was in college, but I went to see him. I went to his show, I had a great time, and I watched him, studied him. That's when I became a student, started watching Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, Bernie Mac. This goes on. Okay, delivery, stage presence, timing, cadence, all these things. Became a student. Not just going up there trying to be naturally funny anymore. And I remember being backstage with Tracy Morgan, and he said to me, You got something. I smell it on you. I smell it. Like, I don't know. I can just feel it. When I meet people who are gifted, especially in my field, I can feel it. And I, I performed in front of this man. I ain't tell a joke. I don't even know what cologne I had on. I didn't know what he was smelling. What do you what does that even mean? And he just was like, nah. Trust me on this. Whatever it is you're doing, just don't give up. You have something. You have the it factor. That's what he said. It was it. You have the it. And I had heard that a lot in my life, but it hit different coming from Tracy Morgan. When it, You know what I mean? When somebody who you see, who has the it, tells you, you it? Nah, I'm the clown. No, it's me. You ever wanted to be the clown? It's the only time. <laughs> And I took that with me and I went to Spruce with that newfound confidence and I said, I'm ready. And he watched the open mics that I'd had my homeboy record for me. And he was like, all right, let's do it. And I went up there, first showcase. I remember I wore an army fatigue. Remember it like it was yesterday because I was mentally telling myself that you're a soldier. This was going to be the first time I was ever in front of a crowd that actually paid some money to be there. This is that crowd I was telling y'all about. It's that New York City crowd. And I went up there. And I crushed it. Crushed it. I was as nervous as I'd ever been in my life, which is why I was probably one of the better shows I'd ever had. I was terrified. But I went up there and I crushed it. And I did another show. And I crushed it. And then it was that infamous third show. Where I went in front of... The cast of Love and Hip Hop New York and a whole bunch of celebs in there. And I remember being in the green room and it wasn't nothing like I thought it would be. It was like 30 comedians and in 20 inches of space. Everybody drunk, and smelled like alcohol. There was people in there? You know Annal no Bennett's in there. Comedians had their entourages in there. It was it wasn't a moment for me. And I went out and I performed, and that night I didn't do so well. I didn't get booed, but I damn sure didn't get laughs. And it was just kind of one of those, one of those moments. It was like the longest four minutes of my life, whatever it was. It was so bad that by the end of my set, I said I was someone I wasn't. Made up a name. Yo, Rudolph James. It was nice to come out here, perform for y'all. y'all, have a good night. Fuck is Rudolph James. I don't know. Couldn't wait to get off that stage. And I was hurt because I had a couple friends there. Shout out to my man Jackson. I was hurting. I remember going out with him and his girlfriend after that, and I was like, yo, man, I'm done. He was like, done? What are you talking about? I was like, fam, I can't. I'm not cut out for this, obviously. He's like, you just had two shows where well, you crushed it. You had one bad show. And I'm like, yeah, but comedians don't bomb. And he pulled out all of the list of comedians who have bombed, which was all of them, everyone. And he was like, and think about it. That was your worst moment, and you are literally three shows in, Mo. What the fuck are you talking about? You just started at this shit. Yeah, you got out the gate on fire and that's not even common. You saw how everybody was telling you that's crazy. You went up there and you didn't even get booed. You just didn't do your best. You didn't execute. You got more to learn. You got to really become a student. You're not going to give up after that and he talked me out of it, but I really was going to give up after that. I was going to be done. But he talked me out of it after a lot of drinks. Got really drunk that night. But I do remember we were going from bar to bar, and I was drinking my failures away, <laughs> drinking the pain away, and people were, like, you know, engaging with me throughout the night, and it would be kind of one of those casual conversations of, you know, what do you do? What do you do? And I remember saying, you know, i work in the, um, the mailroom over at the breakfast club, and I literally specifically remember Jackson pulling me to the side. Yo, stop saying that shit. Stop saying what? You don't work in the mailroom for the breakfast club. Yes, I do. No, 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 no. That's where you spend some time for a check. You're a comedian. We just left the show. You got paid. Yeah, but I saw that. And he didn't even know that I had that moment with Steve Harvey. He wasn't doing that for that. He was just doing that all for him doing that. You're a comedian. I said, this is the same lesson. This is it coming up again. I'm a comedian. Win, lose, or draw, I'm a comedian. Got it. I never said I was the mailroom guy again. I never said I worked in the mailroom again. Anytime somebody asked me, I'm a comedian. Oh, what do you do? I'm a comedian. Whether I had no job, a job, didn't matter. I'm a comedian. It was like reps in the gym. I'm going to keep saying it until it's strong enough to where it just, that's just how I look. I'm a comedian. And Jackson convinced me to go back out there. And I did. I went back out there for one more show. And it was the most prepared I'd ever been. I prepared like my life was on the line. And to this day, it was by far one of the better shows I'd ever had. When I tell y'all I was on fire, every comedian knows it's just some nights when it's just clicking, boy. He's on fire! Every joke is a rock in the ocean. It's just easy. You just got the room rocking. You got them. They love you. Once they love you, man, you money. It's one of those nights, and I fell in love. And I knew in that moment, regardless of what happens from now on, this is what I was put on this earth to do. There's nothing else to talk about. And I would go on to do a few more shows. And in a very short period of time, I went from being the new comedian that they were giving a try with this group of comedians that Spruce used every month to put on a show because it was about four comedians, and they would perform once a month when I got there. And everybody would kind of do 10 minutes, And I started with 10, then it was 20, and then I was headlining after about five or six shows. And the other comedians didn't like me too much. (laughs) They weren't my biggest fans. Kind of felt like I guess I had stole some of the attention from them, but I didn't understand that because I'm like, when I first got here, yeah, granted, y'all might have been like the, the draws, the main draws, but there was 30 people here. We got 90 here now. You're getting to showcase your talents in front of a lot more people because I'm really getting people here. People are coming from everywhere to see me. I'm getting a little buzz. I'm starting to do videos now that are going viral. My man Spruce went and got his video guy, Jamie, and they started cutting videos with me at work. They called me the the Mozart of comedy. (laughs) Felt like I had a natural ability. I ain't even really know what Mozart was about. I had to go look it up. Then I tried to steal his name. I'm the real Mozart. They were like, relax. But I would go into the... The production room and they would be like, yo, what do you want to talk about today? I'm like, I don't know. Y'all give me a topic and they would give me a topic and I would get in front of the camera and I would make that shit funny. Whatever it was, it didn't matter to the point where they were just throwing topics at me. I would make it funny and they would send it out and the people would love it and it would just keep going. And it was it was a thing. And to me, I was just having fun to them. They couldn't believe that somebody was creating this quality of content at this speed just off the top of his head. Honestly, was taking that all in stride. I I was, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just trying not to fuck it up. But that process eventually got me, or at least my comedy, to the right people who could actually do something for me. And before you knew it, Grill on the Hill was kind of my comedic home. And there was a whole lot going on behind the scenes, apparently, that I didn't find out until later in life. They were taking some money from me under the table, being grimy, being shady. It's all good. Host was definitely being shady, but remember that little thing called irony I told you about? Because as fate would have it, my father called me one day and was like, yo, I keep hearing about family and friends literally coming to see you at Grill on the Hill in New York and talking about how funny you are and how much you are killing it. Why don't you do a special I said, when you say special, you mean like, like an hour? So, yeah, man, you could do it. I said, bro, I'm out here killing 20 minutes. You wilding. Well, you can get on stage for an hour. He's like, you could do this. And I said, you think so? He said, yeah. And I said, all right. So then we set up a comedy special in Virginia Beach. It was my first one. And I had an hour of material prepared. And family and friends flew in from everywhere. It was sold out, it was a theater. The stage was literally set. All I had to do was perform. My first time performing in front of a lot of my family, a lot of my friends, definitely in front of a sold-out crowd. And it was my first time having a special and doing an hour. It was a lot of responsibility that I didn't know if I was prepared for. So I didn't sleep that night. Stayed up literally the entire night, rehearsing every joke over and over until none of that shit sounded like it was funny to me anymore. It just sounded like I was saying a bunch of stupidness. But people had already paid. People came, left their vacations to be there. You talking about pressure? I was scared shitless. But I did the same thing I knew to do. I took my ass out there anyway. And I told my first joke, and I'll never forget what the fuck happened after that. Man. Beast. She gonna give it up hey time ain't give it up i may never give a fuck check okay? catch me with that old sweat right in that new book. listening to my old hits hyped on some new shit Young and i got old.